Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. Clay Lowry serves as the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am glad to be joined today by my colleague, Robin Brooks, Managing Director and the Chief Economist here at the IIF. Robin has a long career both in the public sector and in the private sector. He worked at the IMF. He was the Chief FX Strategist for Goldman Sachs, and he has been with the IIF for the last few years as our Chief Economist. Thanks for having me on your podcast. We wanted to talk about today was the Federal Reserve, and they are going to be taking action this week. So we just thought that this was a very timely conversation. Before I do that, I wanted to provide three contextual points. First is the FOMC, which stands for the Federal Open Market Committee. So the FOMC is part of the U.S. Federal Reserve System, and it is a committee that makes open market operations. Open market operations is essentially what you and I think of as like, how do you increase or decrease interest rates? The FOMC consists of 12 members. So there are seven permanent members, which are the board members of the Federal Reserve based here in Washington, D.C., and as well as the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. On top of that, there are four other Federal Reserve Bank presidents. For those that don't know, there are 12 Federal Reserve banks across the country. So there's four of them. So they rotate each and every year. The second contextual point is what actually the Fed has been dealing with for the last few years. So the Fed started to, well, it reduced rates and started doing something called quantitative easing, which we'll come back to, in March of 2020. So basically what happened is when COVID hit uh, the United States, the Fed took dramatic action and reduced its interest rates essentially to zero. It's actually technically 0.25 percentage points, but it's essentially 0%. And the idea was to be able to provide liquidity and provide financing into the system to try to adjust for any kind of concerns about the economy stopping because of what happened with COVID. And we've been in that situation essentially for the last two years. In November last year, the Fed started to take action to tighten on the quantitative easing. The quantitative easing is basically where the Fed takes what many would consider extraordinary measures to go out and actually buy bonds, buy U.S. Treasury bonds, as well as buy mortgage-backed securities in the market. In November, the Fed started to reduce how much it was buying. All of this is important because it starts to lead towards my third contextual point, which is the third point is basically what the Fed has been dealing with from 2021 and now 2022, which is a large increase in the inflation rate. The inflation has risen to a 40-year high here in the United States. And usually when you to battle inflation, the Fed has to take certain actions. Usually it's called tightening monetary policy, which could be quantitative tightening as opposed to quantitative easing, but it's also about potentially raising interest rates. The second contextual point uh, that is much more about the last few weeks is the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which we discussed a little bit last week and we'll be discussing in the future, no question. 
um, because of how it is potentially impacting global financial markets. Before I get to my first question to Robin, so that's kind of the context. I wanted to put one last point out there, which is one of the people who was probably most um, a prophetic on what was going to happen with inflation was actually a former boss of mine and former secretary of the U.S. Treasury Department, Larry Summers. Larry was very clear and concerned back in early 2021 that some of the actions that were being taken by the government could lead towards inflationary forces. And it turned out Larry was basically correct. And so he lately has actually talked about a different concept that he's worried about, which is called stagflation. Now, stagflation basically is a concept that came about in the 1970s in which economic growth essentially started to slow down to nothing. That's the stag part. And uh, inflation was increasing. That's the flation part. So that is kind of the concerns of, are we in a position where if the Federal Reserve starts to tighten too quickly, we could actually harm the economy? Or do they need to tighten because the thing that we have to deal with is inflation? And so to try to answer these questions, uh, we're going to have Robin kind of provide his thoughts on these issues. So I'm just going to stop there. My main question, Robin, is, okay, I just kind of presented all of this. I talked about stagflation. What are your views? What do you think the Fed is thinking about as it goes into next week? And then obviously we'll want to know what you think the Fed will actually do. Ordinarily, a Fed meeting would basically be a review of the macro developments. So how's inflation doing? How's the labor market doing? How are other data doing that feed into the GDP forecast? They would then compare those data and the overall assessment to the setting of policy. Is it too loose or too tight? Um, and then there would be a policy recommendation. Uh, Clay, as you mentioned, policy can consist of raising or lowering interest rates. At the moment, there's only one way to go, which is up. And then there's also obviously the option to do shrinkage of the balance sheet, which is called quantitative tightening, the opposite of quantitative easing. All else equal, that's what the Fed would be doing. But all else is not equal. Uh, the last two weeks, as you said, have seen war break out in Ukraine. Russia invaded Ukraine, and it has caused severe eruptions across uh, financial markets. Year to date, the S&P 500 is down around 13%. We have seen in the United States credit spreads widen. We have some early signs of a little bit of stress in money markets. That's the markets that intermediate cash between banks. And then we also have a little bit of stress in global currency markets, something called cross-currency basis, which is a metric for whether people are scrambling for dollars because they're seeking a safe haven. That has also moved out a little bit. We always get a widening in the cross-currency basis at the end of the year because there's a lot of window dressing around the end of the calendar year. We're basically at those year-end levels right now in early March, which is very unusual. So there's something that's going on. Ordinarily, the discussion at the Fed would be pretty much about macro. And ordinarily, the policy assessment, given where we are, given how elevated inflation is, given how much the labor market has recovered, 
given how much progress we have made since the dark days of the early COVID pandemic, you know, it would be a slam dunk, you hike. And the discussion on the FOMC in recent months has really been, should you start off hiking only by 25 basis points or should you do 50 basis points? So should you actually do a double hike, if you will, at this upcoming meeting? And I think the discussion, because of the war, has shifted to should you hike or should you not hike? Markets are definitely still pricing a tightening, and I expect one from this meeting. My personal preference is for the Fed to sit this meeting out. The uncertainty around developments in Ukraine is just too high at the moment. And frankly, the cost of waiting one meeting is de minimis. Okay, so that's your personal preference, but do you actually think that the Fed would do that, or do you think the pressure on Chairman Powell and and his colleagues is a little too high because of the increase that we've seen in inflation over the last six to nine months, I guess? Yeah, great question. So inflation is very high. No matter how you cut it, uh, whether you look at core CPI, whether you look at the Fed's preferred inflation metric, which is core PCE, whether you look at average hourly earnings, which are wage gains, we have inflation between 5 and 6%. The Fed makes an inflation forecast at four meetings a year. The most recent meeting in December, it forecast that inflation at the end of 2022 would be 2.7%. That's never going to happen. That number is so painfully obsolete that if uh, I were running the Fed website, perhaps there's an argument even for making it disappear. That number in our tracking of data looks more like 4.5%. So basically, inflation is way above anything that the Fed had anticipated. But as I said, all is not equal, right? We have a huge amount of uncertainty. Some of the more worrying metrics out of financial markets are that treasury market liquidity, so that is the trading in U.S. debt securities, U.S. sovereign debt securities. Liquidity has dried up some in recent months. That is a major concern and something I think policymakers are tracking because we did have a big treasury market blow up during the first COVID wave, if you remember. Back in March 2020, very unusual things and very worrying things happened in the U.S. Treasury market. And the Fed ultimately had to step in with emergency QE and in the space of seven weeks bought one and a half trillion dollars worth of U.S. Treasury. That was a major accident. I would rather not repeat it. And I think Jay Powell and the members of the FOMC would also rather steer clear of this. Inflation is clearly elevated. Under normal circumstances, this would be a slam dunk meeting. The uh, policy setting is too loose. Uh, A policy rate at essentially zero with inflation that high with that much recovery from COVID, it just makes no sense. And you should start tightening. And the only question normally would be how fast. But here, the very difficult thing that policymakers are trying to weigh is how much uncertainty there is in financial markets and how vulnerable they are to a hawkish signal from the Fed. What I think the Fed should do and what I think will happen are often very different things, as my wife likes to point out to me. And so I expect there to be a hike, a 25 basis point hike. And the rationale that the FOMC will give for that is that a 0% policy rate given 
how strong the economy is, given how small the exposure of the U.S. economy is at the end of the day to a relatively small economy, which is Russia, there's reason to start normalizing policy in a, in a careful way. And so that's a 25 basis point hike. Just so everyone's aware, CPI and PCE, these are different measures of inflation that the Fed uses. CPI is the one that newspapers use all the time, but PCE is something that the Fed uses a lot more often or it's their preferred method. So a follow-up question, Robin, is how do you balance these different issues? There's the inflation problem, but at the same time, there's a lot of uncertainty and volatility out there given what's happened in Russia and Ukraine. So when the Fed did its tightening before, back in 2015, 2016, et cetera, it kind of tried to do this in a sequential manner. And so when I say sequential manner, it did the following. One, we're going to stop our quantitative easing. We're going to slow it down. So that's what's called tapering to the point that it goes down to zero. So we're no longer adding assets to the balance sheet of the Fed. Then we're going to actually start increasing our interest rates. And finally, we're actually going to reduce the balance sheet of the Federal Reserves to actually tighten up the balance sheet. This time, it's not as clean cut. How do you see the sequencing Assume for a second that they don't go the way you want it to go, or you don't think they should go, which is some tightening increase of interest rates next week. But are they going to basically end quantitative easing, so taper down to zero purchases a month? Or do you think it's going to be kind of a mixed bag? They're going to increase rates while at the same time reduce quantitative easing, but not end it completely, putting aside reducing the balance sheet. How do you see that? So let me review a little bit of history, and then I'll talk about the here and now. Remember that during the global financial crisis, the Fed, for the very first time, did QE in March 2009. And it was a complete novelty. It blew everyone away. I remember I was on a trading floor at the time, and it had a tremendous uh, positive market impact. The Fed then did QE2 in November 2010, and it also announced QE3 in late 2012. And actually, in the course of 2012, it also was doing something called Operation Twist. So there was a whole succession of easing programs, which lengthened the maturity of Fed government bond holdings and increased the size of the balance sheet. The Fed then, in 2013, started getting nervous about how well the economy was doing. And Chairman Bernanke at the time started talking about tapering QE3, which had begun at the beginning of 2013. And as some of you will remember, that caused the taper tantrum and all kinds of histrionics in financial markets. That tapering didn't happen then in the end until the end of 2014. And then the first hike didn't happen until December 2015. That was the first hike after multiple, multiple years of easing that we got from the Fed. China at the time was experiencing something of a currency crisis. And so after that first hike in 2015, we didn't get the next hike until the end of 2016. And then we didn't get balance sheet runoff until mid-2017, and that actually paused in its tightening cycle when it announced that. Long story short, 
the policy normalization process was extremely slow and extremely cautious. And so, Clay, you're making a really good point that this time it feels like, why are we hitting the express train? Why is stuff moving so quickly? The Fed announced tapering in September, then very quickly accelerated tapering. And actually, we had the last tapering operation very recently. So the first government bond auction without Fed QE happened today, Wednesday, March 9th. So we are standing on our own two feet as of right now. Policy normalization in terms of tapering has been much faster. And in combination with all the talk about hikes, there's also been talk about quantitative tightening and balance sheet runoff. Why is all of this coming together? It is because before the war, the real interest rate on longer term government bonds was deeply negative. Financial conditions were way too loose. And so the Fed was struggling to address that because in the end, what happens with the federal funds target rate, which is a very short term interest rate, doesn't matter so much for the U.S. economy. The U.S. economy depends primarily on longer term interest rates. And the reason for that is the transmission mechanism goes heavily through the housing market, which depends on mortgage rates, which are 10 years and longer. So it is really the 10-year interest rate and the 10-year real rate that's the benchmark interest rate for the United States. And so when the Fed thinks about inflation risk, overheating, how to manage that, it really thinks in terms of what is the long-term real rate and should I move that up or down? That's where the QT discussion has come in. All these considerations that I just laid out have been completely overtaken by events because the war changes everything. It obviously changes things much more radically in Europe because Europe is a heck of a lot closer to Russia and Ukraine than we are and therefore has closer trade links and so forth. But it has implications for us too. And as I said before, the main vulnerability is that financial markets go into a tailspin and that's definitely something the Fed wants to avoid. All right. So the Fed, obviously, inflation is you know a key part of the Fed's mandate. Different part of the mandate, of course, is making sure that we reach full employment. A different part, it's not really a, a mandate, is financial stability. And so some of the things you've been saying are that your concern is that are they focusing a little too much on inflation? Are you worried about those other two aspects? So how do you see things like economic growth in the United States Let's just say the Fed does take some of these actions. Do you think it's going to have a large impact on the overall U.S. economy or is it kind of baked into the cake? And so the Fed just needs to kind of do things, but it's not necessarily going to hit the economy too hard. The unemployment rate, as you said, right at the beginning of our podcast is 3.8% in the most recent data for February. Before COVID, February 2020, the unemployment rate was 3.5%. So we have almost made it back to where we were before all this madness started two years ago. So from that perspective, I think the Fed can feel pretty comfortable that it has done a lot of good work on getting closer to the mandate of maximum employment. And so that is why before hostilities started in Ukraine, the focus at the Fed was pretty squarely on inflation and therefore hiking. The financial stability thing that you mentioned, Clay, is super important. The focus of policy in recent years 
has been very uh, squarely on that. And so I think, especially when we're talking about a 25 basis point hike, you know, that's largely a secondary consideration. It has moved into the foreground now because markets are so jittery. We are seeing huge moves, especially in commodity markets, and those kinds of dislocations can cause certain parts of the market to get upended. And so then you can have kind of cascading effects, rolling bankruptcies and so forth. And so that's something I think the policymakers will be super vigilant for. Clay, maybe I can hit you with a question of my own. You have great background here in the political circles of D.C., and one of the issues has been the renomination of Jay Powell, the chair at the Fed. Can you take us through that, what the process has been, and his particular status now at this upcoming meeting? So it's a good question, Robin. The renomination of Jay Powell to be the Fed governor is kind of also associated with the upgrade for Lael Brainerd, who is currently a Fed governor, to be the vice chair. But then on top of it, the Biden administration has come forward with three other nominees, Philip Jefferson to be a governor, Lisa Cook to be a governor, and Sarah Bloom Raskin to be vice chairwoman for supervision. The most controversial of those is Sarah Bloom Raskin. So all of these nominees are before Capitol Hill. They've all had hearings, but they are stuck. And they're stuck kind of in some respects for two reasons. The Republicans are concerned about Sarah Bloom Raskin because, and we talked about this on the last podcast, because they think that she wants to direct lending from the Fed to the sustainable sector or away from areas such as oil and gas. She denies this, by the way, and she's denied it in hearings. But because of that, there has been concern raised by the Republicans. And so they are, have said they are not willing to create a quorum because the Democrats have done something different, which is they've tied all five of these nominees together and said, we're going to move them forward as a block. Now, they can move them forward individually. Well, three of them definitely would probably move very quickly forward, including Jay Powell. Lisa Cook might be slightly more controversial, but I don't think it would be that controversial. But Sarah Bloom Raskin is the one that the Democrats are worried about. Right now, it's kind of tied up in this political battle, and it's left the Fed with open slots, so they don't have as many Fed governors as they should. And it's also left Jay Powell in kind of a strange position. He's actually the ex-officio governor of the Fed because his term as chairman actually expired. So it's a weird position. And the politics of this are pretty significant, and it doesn't appear like there's a great way forward anytime soon outside of either, as I said, the Democrats basically saying we're not going to tie them all together, or the Republicans saying we'll give a vote, you know, and if we vote down Sarah Bloom Raskin, we vote her down, but we'll give a vote. Neither of those things is happening, and it's creating a political mess when the Fed probably doesn't need to be dealing with political issues. Lastly, for this podcast, I want to wrap up with what I'm calling three, two, one. Three takeaways. First, this FOMC meeting that's taking place next week is really important. It's been on the calendars from everybody for the last few months, not just because Russia Ukraine, it was always on the calendar because everybody thought that this would be a big action. Second is U.S. inflation is at a 40-year high, and so that's putting a lot of pressure on the Fed to actually tighten up monetary policy, including raising interest rates. 
And third, and I thought Robin described this very well, there's a balancing effect there that probably didn't exist as much until the Russia-Ukraine situation. And that balancing effect is between inflation, but also between economic growth and financial stability. All three of those things take away from what we've talked about. Two areas to be looking out for. So Robin, maybe you can help. Give me one of them. All righty. So today, March 9th, markets took a breather and rallied. European stocks did a little better. The euro rallied. Energy prices came down a little bit. And that's because the market thought it saw headlines that were more in the peaceful direction on the war in Ukraine and Russia. Whether or not that's true, the single biggest determinant of what's going on in markets and therefore what the Fed will think at its meeting is the direction and the path of conflict after the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And that's the absolute most important thing to watch. Thank you very much, Robin. A lot from what Robin talked about, which is the Russia-Ukraine situation, how much peace are we really going to get? The second takeaway is commodity prices. Commodity prices have increased pretty dramatically over the last few weeks because of, again, the Russia-Ukraine. Russia is a major commodity exporter. And because of some of the sanctions that have been put in place, if commodity prices increase, that has an impact on inflationary expectations. Finally, my one piece of fascinating sports information. This last week, I got to watch some of the Paralympics. I thought it was very interesting. And so far, I mean, as of recording, the country that is the most successful in terms of the medal count on the Paralympics is China, the host country. Canada is second, but maybe kind of with a tear in our eye and and, in our heart, third is the country of Ukraine. Ukraine has produced these terrific athletes. And look, any competitor in the Paralympics is inspiring. And let me just start by saying, so I've done a lot of sports in my life. I was good at some of them, not so good at the others. Biathlon, which is a cross between cross-country skiing and uh, shooting, rifle is something that I know I'd be, well, god-awful at. And so I watched the, the Paralympics biathlon. These were women that were skiing, and they, well, they don't have uh, legs for a variety of different reasons. And so they're competing in this event. I got to see Oksana Masters, who is a U.S. citizen, although she was born in Ukraine by chance win the gold medal, barely beating out China's Yilin Shan. And it was a very exciting competition. And really what it said is the competitive spirit, the athleticism, the grit and the tenacity of these women and men is amazing. And if you want to watch something really exciting in sports, you couldn't do better than watching the Paralympics. Thank you very much. And with that inspirational note, let me just sign off for this week. I want to thank you again, Robin Brooks. Thanks for having me. I hope you'll join me next Monday for another episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at IIF.com. Please make sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.